0: everyone and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of one of you games and I make role-playing games and I'm here with my co-host Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi,
1: I'm Craig Campbell. I am all of Nerdburger Games. Well, as, as in as much as I can be because, you know, like all of us here on the show, uh, lots of freelancers, lots of collaborators. Yeah. Ooh. And so uh, they all uh, play a part in that. But yeah, I'm the guy who's in charge. Um, yeah, uh, we're here again with uh, Eddie Webb. Hi, Eddie. You've been Hello. on before and now you're back. Thank you for Indeed. coming back. Yeah, no problem. It was fun last time. I'm glad you guys invited me back.
0: So Eddie, tell tell us and we'll really tell our listeners a little bit about you.
2: Uh, my name is Eddie Webb. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I am the owner and operator of Pugsteady, um, where I've been doing full-time uh, freelance for Video game and tabletop RPG design since 2014, but I've been working in both industries off and on since 2001. Uh, So I've been around for quite a while. Um, And the main things I've been known for, I've worked on a lot of things, but like I've worked on things like uh, um, the Red Dwarf role playing game, the Firefly role playing game to WWE role playing game I just recently worked on the Transformers role playing game but primarily I'm known for working on things like Vampire the Masquerade with uh White Wolf and Onyx Path Publishing and my creator owned game Pugmire where you play dogs in D&D in the future
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant Um
1: <laughs> um and all the and all the spin-offs from there Yes, it's monarchies of Mao, which are uh, the
2: cats, and then actually we just wrapped up uh, last year, um, squeaks in the deep, which is the mice and rats slash underdark Pestiche.
0: That I love, I, that's I love so the fun. title.
1: That's like my favorite game title, squeaks in the deep. It
0: has it has like a very like, I don't know if any other state had this, but. They, we had our own kind of goosebumps thing, like book series oh, really? called Michigan Michigan thrillers. I think it was thrillers, and not chillers. But they would have, um, like, oh gosh, they would have like the mummies of Muskegon. Oh, really? Or the gargoyles of Gaylord. Like <laughs> nice. that, that's like the style <laughs> of naming convention that that reminds me of. Squeeze yeah, in and, the deep.
2: <laughs> and it's definitely meant to be kind of kid-friendly horror so um like I tell my writers it's basically much more spooky than scary um so it's like it's dark and there's shadowy things and something jumps out at you ah you know and like creepy doll heads you know it's, it's genuinely scary but also kind of just it's not gory it's not saw or anything like that
0: <laughs> well I mean I had a hard time really marketing my saw for kids game it was a, it was a mess <laughs> Craig what are we talking about today
1: Oh, ordering tickets, <laughs> apparently. <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> to start, we're going to uh, talk about some GMing stuff, specifically uh, what I referred to, and I, a lot of people refer to as the one hour adventuring day. Um, and actually, we should probably clarify that for listeners because just a few minutes ago, I had to clarify it for my partner, Jess, here. Um, <laughs> Which is to say, the one-houring one-hour advent- one adventuring day, is like the conceit that um, it's pre- common in D and D and in some other games where the the characters start their day. They have a certain number of limited resources that are kind of usable once per day, or have you know like they they they, they, re- they refresh more slowly. Maybe not just daily, but they just maybe they take hours and hours to refresh. Um, and so you've find yourself like the characters go out and they start doing whatever it is they're doing, looting tombs or fighting supers or whatever. And they're suddenly out of these, uh, these abilities um, that they, that they kind of use up and they have to wait for things to recharge. And so like what happens, like does, do the characters just hang around for the rest of the day and wait for the time to pass for them to recharge? Or is there things that we can do as the GM um, to mitigate that, to make sure that it, it gives the players as much um, Opportunity is possible to to continue forward with the story without having to feel like they need to stop and wait for powers and spells and things to recharge.
0: Yeah, I think this is a really good topic for any GM who has ever heard can we take a long rest yet? And <laughs> right. uh that was that happens so often. I, I have heard from my own GMs like, no, you you've already had a long rest in the last 24 hours, you your spell slots are gone. <laughs> Good luck.
2: <laughs> I do remember a friend of mine who was GMing once who said that um, it's amazing how when people play D anD D, they suddenly become cranky five year olds so They want to need a nap like every ten
1: minutes.
0: <laughs> it's true.
1: I find myself wondering if in monarchies of Mao, given how much cats sleep, um, like if that if you built that into the game where like the cats get up and do their thing and then they sleep. Well, and then they get up ago. and do their thing and then they sleep. And maybe they I didn't sleep.
2: have to build it into the game because cool. that's just the DD cycle, right? So it's just like, okay, I'm taking a nap now. It's like, okay, cool, great. <laughs> um, but I mean, like for serious games, there, it's an interesting cycle, right? Because there's two kind of extremes to this. There's, there's the one like you articulated, which even when players kind of maximize it, where they um, blow their wad, they, they do absolutely everything and then go, cool, we're taking a long rest now. It's like, but you just started, you know, what's happening? Um, and then the other extreme of where, uh, because it's limited resource, players will save it and they won't use it until they feel it's absolutely necessary. And like the dragon's literally breathing fire on you. was like, but it might be something worse afterwards. I'm gonna hold on to that. Um, and so it's, it's hard to, to, to balance those in, in my experience, but um, I feel like older editions of Dungeons & Dragons specifically actually handle this problem through random encounters, right? Uh, it's the, okay, every time you take, every time you sleep, every time you go to sleep, a random encounter gets rolled. And as you wake up and you have to, sometimes you have to deal with a random encounter. Um, So if people take excessive amount of rests, that means you're generating excessive amounts of random encounter tables. And that becomes then a balance of, okay, we should rest, but we don't want to incur the possibility of random encounters. So maybe we'll push on a bit more. And that is one way to balance it. Although... If you're not, if you're playing through a bit doesn't really enjoy just combat for the heck of combat, then it, it, that may not be the best way to do it.
0: Yeah, there are like that. That's the that's the whole thing about resource spending. It's built into the game to add a layer of challenge in there, mm. and players just are naturally challenge adverse because they don't want their characters to get hurt. They want to succeed right. in the mission. You know, they're gonna try. It what they can to mitigate their their character pain and part of that is resting and relaxing so if you do add some sort of i mean not that as a gm you have to take an adversarial role but you want to make sure that the challenge is continuously pumping in um for the players who want and need that um if you can add i I love the idea i mean i I liked when I when I played older editions of D&D, you did have the random encounters when you did rest. Uh, mm. That can feel at times a little video gamey for me. But if yeah. I'm in the right mood for it, it's great. But maybe there are some other consequences that happen when people take a long rest. Um, maybe you can start having or even a short rest. Maybe you can start having a character have these weird dreams and visions whenever they and you can start tying that into your campaign or maybe resources move around in wherever they're exploring maybe they're after they're chasing after something and there are penalties for getting to where they need to go if they're sitting around and lazing about on the way like can you imagine i'm gonna oh, I always talk about lord of the rings can you imagine if like <laughs> frodo and sam kept stopping and taking a break all the time come on they're not mary and pippin <laughs> I mean, can you
2: imagine? Wow. Wow. This is swinging hard for
1: Merry and Pippin. Yeah. Impressive. Wow. Just, that- just a little <laughs>
0: hobbit slander in there. It's
1: okay. <laughs> like you do. Well, it's kind of fair. You know, Merry and Pippin went on like some some nature walks with the ants and <laughs> spent a bunch of time eating and singing. And, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then Frodo and Sam, meanwhile, are having the worst times of their lives.
1: <laughs> They're trying to go as directly as possible. Well, I mean, yeah. again, video game logic is like. Uh,
2: uh, uh, uh Sam and Frodo are like, okay, no, this is the main quest. We have to fall main quest, and Mary and Pepper go, but we have this backlog of side quest stuff we need to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go make friends with trees, but no, we how does that get us to the like, <laughs> So uh, Imagine
1: I mean, Imagine how it would have went if the if the if the fellowship had stayed together <laughs> and they had right? to wrangle those two back on track anyway.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, there's a reason why they got diverted extremely early in the
1: books. <laughs> I mean, the, it, happens,
0: it happens right at the end of fellowship. That's, that's um,
1: the GM saying enough. We're going to go ahead and split the party because you two are troublemakers. <laughs> right.
0: But I think that kind of ties into like the motivation. <laughs> like why, why are the players there? If they don't feel the pressure to continue going on, even if their resources are depleted, then that is probably something from your end as the GM to tinker with. Cause it's, that's a natural reaction for the players. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are you going to do to ensure that they want to keep going? Maybe the curiosity of something, maybe the urgency of something. If that's a problem, there are other, there are other, you know, solutions to this that aren't problems.
1: Well, I think Eddie kind of hit the the nail on the head when he mentioned the second side of that, which is people who sit on their abilities for too long is it's as a GM, finding a balance between that to say, I've got some ideas for. Um, encounters and challenges for the characters. The players are going to come up with some stuff that I didn't expect and I might have to improvise some things. And so I can fill this time, this day or multiple days or whatever, um, with the types of challenges that... uh, Some of the challenges are things that the characters are not going to have to blow through all their big spells. They're going to be able to use their recurring like kind of go-to stuff that they can fall back on all the time. There's nothing wrong with having some of those encounters that Oh, well, we, you know, like in D&D terms, we're using at-will abilities or just swinging weapons. And, you know, and then every so often have that ramped up thing. I think the GM probably runs the greatest risk of having players blow through all of their abilities if they make every encounter like this do or die massive thing that every player yeah. feels like, oh, my God, I've got to do something in order to make sure we get out of this alive. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think, I mean, um, there are ways that you could also mitigate it uh, just from a mechanical perspective, right? Like if, if players are feeling like they want to blow through stuff and you want them to kind of feel refreshed while going through, I mean, obviously the short rests, um, but also potions that can uh, reinvigorate, give, give you different abilities back. Um, one house world that I've really actually liked and I'm, I'm, I'm debating if I want to actually implement it in my next game uh, is if you critically fail, you also get one of your uh, you know, long rest abilities back.
0: Oh, I like that.
2: So like something really bad happens to you, but then you get to refresh in one of your abilities. That's That's a really
0: interesting, that's a really interesting mechanic to kind of throw in there just from a a homebrewing perspective. Right,
2: it it allows you to like, okay, yes, this bad thing happened, which will make the story more interesting, but so you don't feel like you're getting beat up on, you have a chance to do a cool thing uh, later on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that it's the, okay, well then, then players start to think narratively, like, okay, what if we, do digress and go talk to giant trees, and you know, get pick fights with orcs because that's going to make things worse for us. But that gives us more opportunities to refresh things, without just sleeping. If if you change the the criteria for getting those resources back, that can also change the the, the dynamic of, of how that flows a bit more.
1: Right, and the players will utilize abilities that put them in the position of potentially failing because they know they've got that cushion. Mm-hmm. um they will be less likely to use their auto hit abilities or their big area effect abilities that are always going to do something right mm-hmm. if they know that they've like okay I'll make I'll make I'll make to hit rolls I'll use I'll um, I'll use abilities that require a skill check to mm-hmm. to you know u- utilize properly um and have that potentially fail and then okay well now I've got this thing that I can that I can bank for later one of the things I like to do too is um, to just reinforce the idea that like, we're not going to, we're not going we're, we're to save, we're not going to save the world in the morning. Like this, like it's right. not all going to happen right away is like the story can be structured in such a way that the characters have to wait. Like the, the villain's not going to show up at this place that you can ambush them until later. Mm-hmm. And that gives the players the opportunity to say, okay, my, our characters go, they rest, they you know do whatever they can get out of short rests or whatever mechanics that do that sort of thing. We can spend spend time planning for the ambush that will, of course, not survive the first round of fighting because that's how ambushes go. But it, it puts you know, like it 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 relegates that big moment to like just put it in the timeline a little later. Make them wait. Make immediacy a threat. Like if I if we try to do this immediately, we got to take on the big bad, right? If we're going to go bust down their door and go in there, well, they're going to be surrounded by their bodyguards and hench people and all this other stuff why don't we spend some time to try to lure the bad guy out with less guards mm-hmm. or find out what they're planning to do some other place so that they're not on their home turf and make those viable options as a GM. Um, so that's not just kick down the door as soon as possible mentality.
0: Yeah, and, and other things too, that the players could be doing is taking time to process in character things that have just happened to them um, taking some time to, you know, just chat and think about ways that use GM can either like help them engage within their planning. If they're, if they're sitting around and waiting or help them engage with each other in some character developing, developing and story development that doesn't happen, you know, when they're all desperately slashing at things.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And I mean, if people are worried about, Um, like I need to have these special abilities to keep my character run. You mentioned before, Jessica, about some of these people were losing their characters. Um, One thing from a design perspective, remember, is that it's actually really hard to kill a 5e character. Um, I mean, I have played a lot of 5e, a lot of 4e, honestly. Really, um, from 4e on, um, past 10 plus years of Dungeon Dragon design, I've never seen a character killed unless someone does something really stupid or there's just a catastrophic combination of events, which is usually more story related and things that are in the DM's control. But just on a pure, we're throwing dice around, unless dice get really, really bad one direction or another, which over a long enough period of dice rolling, that's gonna average out. Um, So generally speaking, player characters are expected to spend some of their resources to survive a certain amount of fights and then recover the resources within a day. And that's for difficult fights. So I mean, it's it, it's the idea of I have to either save this because I might need it to survive or I can't go on because I've expended all these things because I might die. It, it's just unlikely.
0: So how can you without, well, I mean, I guess you could just directly tell your players, okay, you're, this is an unlikely thing to happen. Like, don't be so, don't be a dragon and hoard all of your resources. Uh, But is there a way to do that without directly saying it to them and revealing the hand inside the puppet?
2: Um, I mean, I I think there's a couple. I mean, obviously, the easy way is to communicate with your players. Like, hey, be aware this is a thing. It'll be fine. Um, Another thing is you can have a house rule saying that no player character dies without player consent. Um, So that way it just takes off the table. It's like if you go to zero hit points, something happens to where you want to be killed. Um, if you make death saves and if you fail our death saves, then you go into a a comatose state or whatever, something else happens besides death and you just take it off the table too. And then again, it becomes a moot point Um, inside the game. You can just kind of reinforce, especially as you go up in level of like, that's a hit that would have killed you before you started adventuring, but now you barely notice it. Um, And so obviously your skill and how you're growing as a hero has made you more resistant, more resilient, able to dodge blows or um, wipe away blood that turns out to be a scratch that before would have probably been a, a devastating blow. And just really selling to the players that your characters are meant to be heroes, you're above average, you're using more movie logic uh, rather than you know how people actually live and breathe and, and die. Uh, So it's the kind of you get blown through a window and you fall down 10 stories and you get up and just scratches and a bandaid on your head. And that's all that happens to you. That kind of logic. That's what these games are designed more and more to emulate. So if you take the fear off the table, whether it's through direct communication by just explicitly saying it's off the table or whatever um, that helps because one of the things I ran into interestingly, when I worked on Pugmire is there's a a small section of my players who are like, I don't want to see a dog die. Mm -hmm. And if I'm playing a dog, and my character dies, what happens? Um, And uh, uh, admittedly, my first reaction was, well, don't play a game about dogs. But I I thought about it, and I was like, well, actually, I think that's a valid concern. And so I I just had an optional rule of, like, if you want to say characters don't die, say characters don't die. Um, It's kind of cartoony logic. uh, But if you're trying to emulate heroic fantasy fiction, you know, characters don't die in... Lord of the Rings or uh, Critical Role or whatever, unless it's interesting to the story. So just being clear about that and saying, this is the trope we're emulating. We're just not going to make this thing. And then you could, Clark could say, actually, no, I want to make my heroic sacrifice here. Then you can make that a thing, right? You can make that big thing. Cool, you're making heroic sacrifice. You get all of your abilities back for this scene. Use them as much as you want until you fall over dead or whatever you can make that a big moment that's handcrafted in in the, the flesh of things and then players say okay cool well then i only have to worry about it when i want to do that so yeah let me use my fun of powers when it makes sense and when the flow of the combat uh, encourages it rather than trying to either hoard them or making sure i'm constantly resting to get them back
1: you can reinforce it with players too by if you've got a player that loves to just pop off with their big explodey spell or whatever, their, their nova power that's going to just Underwave. disintegrate people, um, you know, sure, let them, like, you know, put, put, put a challenge in there that looks like it like, oh this could be serious. And then let them blow through all this stuff and then have the challenge not be that big of a deal. It's like, oh, and now you're done. Mm-hmm. You've defeated the baddies and on you go. And you're like, and, and, you know, the player will be like, well, now I just blew through like two or three of my big abilities. Like maybe next time I'll be a little bit more careful about it. Think about it. Like let them gauge, help to teach them that they can, they can spend the time to gauge what the challenge is going to be like and realize that they're going to get through challenges, um, where they don't have to use up those abilities, uh, that they can, like they can go around or two and see, you know, oh, this looks like we're going to wrap this up pretty, pretty quickly. Um, now that said every so often you can spring it on them and have like, well, you didn't use the big thing right at the beginning. And that really, you know, that hurts you. Um, you know, you do, do mix it up. Don't make everything predictable for the players, but, you know, but don't do it. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not doing it to as a gotcha. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't take that mentality of this is going, well, I'll really get them this time. They'll look, it'll look like a nothing threat and then it'll suddenly explode on them because they didn't use their big ability just to wipe out all the little kobolds or whatever. Use it as uh, just like, it's like, this is just a different type of challenge. We're going to have like a number of different types of challenges. And one of them is going to be that something that looked innocuous suddenly got really out of hand. Mm-hmm. And you just do that every so often so that it kind of shakes things up and the players have to adapt and uh, change their strategies. Yeah,
0: I, I think also from a GMing perspective, like you might worry that if they haven't used some of their resources, they're coming to a really big fight completely refreshed, or they're coming to any challenge completely refreshed. Um, in my my favorite game series of all time, Legend of Zelda, before every boss room there is a fairy. You're always yep. going to be full heart when you jump in the boss room and it can still be a challenge so I think it's just a matter of kind of changing your own perspective does it matter if your players are resting all the time well if it's dragging the story down and making things unfun for you and unfun for the players yeah and then make some tweaks but if it's not really if the if the only problem is like oh they have more resources than I expected uh you know just uh, tweak your challenges a little bit what can you do there? What can you do to make it more interesting? Or what can you do to make the non-resource spending stuff more interesting too? Uh, I, I, obviously this is like a problem that happens in these big fantasy, adventure type games. It's not a big problem in games where resources and fighting and HP and spells aren't really a big element. Uh, but, you
1: know, (laughs) Yeah, if if things start to go south in a Call of Cthulhu game, use the best thing you got to get out of there because right. that game's gonna murder you. Yeah, um, <laughs> you have to as a GM, you have to kind of think of what the game is about.
2: Sure, and, and I mean, um, an our type of example of game where you're expected to die, but you also have lots of resources is paranoia, right? You know, paranoia. You can probably get anything you want to, particularly if you're really good at bamboozling other player characters, but you're still going to die, probably in various hilarious ways throughout the course of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go in knowing, oh, hey, this is a kind of slapstick, satirical, you know, meta horror game. Um, so I, I go into the same thing to Call of Duty. It's like going, you know, if you go into Call
1: of Duty going, I'm going to beat the bad guy. You're
2: pro- <laughs> probably not going to have a good experience,
1: I think. Kind of the wrong, yeah. right, mm-hmm. um, Focus.
2: But I mean, there are other kinds, I mean, moving away from combat there are other kinds of resource management that also can lead to some interesting gameplay like uh let's take uh vampire the masquerade for example um yeah, one of the resources that there, there are two main resource things one which everyone knows and one which very few people think about one is blood it's i have so much blood i, I can spend blood to do cool things but then i have to go do something horrible to recover that that's not just i go to sleep for eight hours Actually, I, I have to murder somebody in order to do more cool stuff. That, that that sets up an interesting dynamic. It helps to reestablish the, the horror of the setting. Um, but also you do have a, a, a humanity as a resource because it's really hard to recover. You don't get many opportunities as a vampire to do nice things and to prove how humane you are. But you have plenty of opportunities to do horrible things and be a complete dickbag. So... <laughs> Trying to manage that because at a certain point in time, eventually your character becomes unplayable. I, I can't play this character anymore. He's just too monstrous. So it's that's a different kind of, of, of resource management. But in a game like Vampire, that tension makes sense, right? It's, it's the, okay, I do have to carefully measure how I'm spending things because all the consequences are pretty horrible. And at some point in time, you kind of become... Either a nerd to it or you just realize that you're just a horrible society and you're kind of having to survive through it that's the point of that game so it makes sense that that you should be making hard choices for all of your resources but if you're playing dnd kind dnd of can slide from uh lights fantasy where you just kind of tromping along having a good time and making friends um, and so it doesn't really make sense to really carefully manage your resources uh, all the way over to something like a Dark Souls, where every fight you're in is a fight for survival, and you're hoping to get through it. Um, it, it so how you dial that in can really help and what kind of feel you want out of the game, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Some ga- Like you said, Jessica, some games, resource management is just not the point.
0: Yeah, and if resource management isn't the point, this is not a problem you're going to be having as a GM. So that that point's new move. But right. yeah let's uh I, th- I think i think overall it, it is just like how you how you do frame the the pr- the problem
1: mm-hmm. for a
0: one hour adventuring game i know that for me like if i were an adventurer and i was going around i was like running through caves and smacking bats i would be tired after maybe 10 minutes of vigorous exercise <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs>
2: So maybe it uh, makes sense.
0: Maybe it's more realistic that they are sitting down for a nap every once in a while. Maybe, also, maybe it's yeah,
1: it's more realistic that like you know, I'm I'm kind of happy that we're gonna get on our horses and and just ride along for four hours because, yeah. whew, <laughs> I am but, wiped out.
0: But also, <laughs> it's like realistic too at that point. Like, yeah, maybe they are sleeping and then. Like you have a, there's a will o the wisp or something that appears and it tempts one of the players out in the woods. Or maybe, maybe a, a friendly NPC wanders up at the camp and you can introduce a new plot point or a side quest. Or you know, there are all sorts of things you can do to keep the fun going. Yeah.
1: And you can flip the, uh, the, the Marian Pippin problem. <laughs> into, uh, well, you're all rolling along doing this thing. And now all of a sudden, oh, you realize that you're right near where this, this big tree person named Treebeard lives. And like you have a chance to talk to this person, but they're about to, uh, to leave, you know, or whatever. They're not going to be available. Like you, you can take them, you side, sidetrack them into something that's going to eat up some time that's going to be useful, important. They're going to maybe uh, meet an NBC, get an important piece of equipment, some information that they will find useful down the road. And then they're under a time constraint that they have to kind of, you have to do, you have to do this now, or you're going to lose the opportunity for, for a long time or perhaps forever. Um, And then that puts you, puts them in the position of like, now we're going to do a role play thing. That's going to take, you know, that eats up, you know, so many hours of game time. And then it makes, you know, more, it makes a little more sense that we're going to deal with what we're going to do later in the day. And then, okay, now, now the day's over and it all just kind of flows nicely.
2: Totally. Um, if you're more inclined towards the the stick approach rather than your carrot approach, you can also do things like, okay, well, you're it's raining and there's no cover nearby. So you can you can rest here, but you're probably going to take a level of exhaustion because you're being rained on as you're trying to rest. Um, or uh, someone's chasing after you, so every time you rest, there's a chance they catch up to you. <laughs> uh, so um, maybe you don't want to rest right here, or maybe you wanted to, fi- you know, wait to get a more secure place.
0: There's a little tiny gnome that sneaks up and he steals a gold from your pocket every so often. You haven't been able to snag him just yet.
2: <laughs> you laugh, but that's actually a game mechanic in a game called Golden Axe. Um, there's this old uh, arcade platformer um, where you go through your beat up monsters, but then when you get to the campfire, a little gnome comes up and steals your stuff, and you have to. That's, quick to kill him before he takes your stuff off screen.
0: That's so funny. So I mean, it, it, it,
2: that, that, that's a little bit a thing that's been done, and it's it's one of the things I remember most about that game is because it's like <laughs> you fight through everything, and then you sit down by the fire, and then some jerk comes along and starts taking your stuff, and it's like I just wanted to extend you five minutes.
1: So you kind of want to hit him, so it works out.
0: <laughs> Let me rest.
1: Yeah. Do you really want to take a? A rest in this forest. It's filled. You you've you've heard that it's filled with giant spiders that come and find people in their sleep and web them up and slowly eat them over the course of five days. I'm
2: sure that's just a rumor.
1: Are you sure you want to take a rest in this rocky bad land where uh, like every single thing you look at is a place somebody could be hiding, waiting for you to fall asleep?
0: Or you really do? Oh wow, this place is really nice. You don't really you don't really want to leave. It's don't you feel cozy? Don't you want to lay down and <laughs> the
1: Wizard of Oz field of poppies? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Like you're in this massive field of poppies, and you just feel sleepy. And wouldn't it be wonderful to just lie down and sleep here? What do you want to do?
0: I mean, that. Also I want to get out of the field
1: of poppies. Yeah, <laughs> <I gotta> go.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I, I'll, I'll go with five hit points. That's fine. I just get out of here.
0: You'll you'll also have the players who will entertain themselves anyway. The last D anD D campaign I played, I was a bard, and I picked up this random ruby red skull, and uh it the the GM had it have a voice that only i could hear so every time Oops. i had the opportunity <laughs> i would sit down and have a conversation with this thing and uh yeah i, I entertained myself <laughs> i was having fun every time i got to rest
2: no absolutely i remember somewhere i was playing in a DD campaign uh, It was meant to be very kind of swashbuckler anyway um but we attacked by random bandits and one of them was survived and i was like basically you know, I, I had it by sword point. And I was like, you can serve me or you can die. And he's like, well, I guess I'll serve you. And then he became my NPC valet for like three years after that.
0: <laughs> Slowly plotting his revenge.
2: <laughs> it's,
0: like, it's, it's the action. First it was
2: that. And then like after a couple months, it's like, actually, this is really way better. It's like, I had the same amount of dangers being abandoned. I get fed way better food. Um, I have access to much more money. Um, so I just, was kind of a jerk to him because that's what my character (laughs) was like and he was just like and was like why are you proud with it's like it's better than being a bandit
0: (laughs) it's better than being dead
2: (laughs) right um so yeah i mean you're right i mean there are certain players who will find that fun um but in my experience when people are worried about the one hour work day it's primarily because they're, 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 they're scared that they need to be at maximum capacity at all times in order to accomplish something they need to accomplish. So either if you take it off the table or disincentivize that or incentivize other ways of approaching it, I think those all of these tactics can help to kind of smooth that out and get a, a, a nicer uh, ebb and flow of resource management. Well, there you go.
0: Well, speaking of a one-hour workday, that's about how much time I have that's good for working for me. <laughs> and this is my wet method of segueing into our nice. our game design topic time management
2: yes oh time management in the in the in the year 2022 and i think most of us only have like 1 hour where we're good the whole day
0: yeah i mean there's a lot that goes into it like how are you how are you actually feeling today and that's going to determine how much time how much good time um so i have a really hard time with time management i always Ooh. have it is, it is part of my brain. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have found something that kind of works for me when I'm, when I'm like actually in a good brain space. If I'm in a bad brain space, I have to recognize that. And then mm-hmm. I just know that I'm not gonna get anything done that day, but I know, and I set a realistic amount of time and I underestimate it a little bit. Like, okay, I have two hours of good work in me today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to set it up. A timer for an hour i'm gonna work i'm gonna take a quick break and then i'm gonna go back to the work and uh this is my method it's called the Mm -hmm. pomodoro technique yes
2: i love the Pomodoro method yep
0: and it i mean i don't know i just it works again when i'm when i'm in a good day it works really well for me because i have an endpoint for my time Mm -hmm. um whereas like with the pandemic like what you were mentioning Um, and I'm just kind of like springing into this whole topic without a very good introduction for it but like during the the pandemic we haven't had like any sort of outside for a lot of us any sort of outside pressure or schedule to Mm -hmm. hold ourselves to like our whole calendar our whole everything is blended together and that can make it really hard to sit and work because it doesn't feel like there is an end goal it doesn't feel like Mm -hmm. time is passing when you are working it doesn't feel like Like you don't even have some of like for, for game designers, you don't even, you haven't even had like some of these like set dates where like, oh, this is when Gen Con is happening. This is when Origins is happening. Like you don't even have like those big calendar days to hold yourself to. And that can be really destructive to time management, particularly Mm -hmm. for people who are neurodiverse. Uh, It's just, it's been absolutely time management ruining. So making sure that you have like trying to do your best to create your own internal schedule, I think is like a big first step. Absolutely. The other steps. I don't know. I'm really bad at time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, in my experience, you've got one of the hardest parts of it nailed down, which is recognizing a a couple of key things. Um, Before I launch into that, um, uh, let's kind of step back. uh, I, part of my life I spent as uh, working at a, a video game studio. And, and so I learned a lot about making software. Um, uh, and my wife has gone on to become, uh, was on as a scrum manager and uh, has spent a decade helping teams to manage their workflow and their time. And I've learned a lot from just watching her and also working with her. Uh, and during the pandemic, we, I mean, you know, we, Path had lots of freelancers who were also in similar places struggling. Um, And so I actually put together a small class for them to kind of some of the tips I had. And of course, they gave me some tips. And then I learned a lot about specifically said uh, neurodiverse folks and how they sometimes struggle with it. And also I, 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 I pulled out for me a lot of tips, but I think the number one thing is. Uh, uh, no set of parameters, no book you read, no YouTube video you watch is going to be a perfect fit. You have to kind of constantly tinker to find what works for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of the things I talk about are why I make the decisions I make rather than here's my method, apply it. But um, the big things, like you hit a couple of the big points, which is recognizing uh, how much your mood affects your workflow. Uh, uh similar to our d d characters, as we were talking about earlier, if you've just fought off a huge dragon at 9 a.m., you probably are not going to be at your best for the rest of the day. So maybe you should be thinking about taking a, a, a bit of a break uh, before you, you move on because it's – if you do a lot of heavy work in the beginning, that may not – you can't keep a kind of workload constantly, especially if you're not in the right space. Um, also, uh, it is harder to start something than to stop something. So a lot of times when I find myself going, I just don't want to work today. Uh, if I force myself to say, uh, similar to life, I use 25 minute pomos. Um, so it's like, I can do 25 minutes of work. I can do anything for 25 minutes. Uh, and so I'll do 25 minutes. And if after that, I'm still not feeling it, okay, maybe this is the, end of the day I'd get some productive work done. Mm-hmm. But 85% of the time I do that, I can usually then keep working. Uh, because I've starting is often hard, uh, but really you key into a big part, which is not only time but also workflow can seem endless. Uh, uh, because the example I give is, let's say you have two tasks for your day, which is check email and write book. And on paper, they look almost identical. It's like they have the same number of letters and everything, in it. you know they 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 very easy to feel like those are identical in your head, but they're clearly not. So um, you have to break down tasks and do what I call waiting. It's something I've stolen from uh, software development. Uh, so um, try to break down to the smallest possible tasks that you can reasonably accomplish in your workday and then wait wait those accordingly. So like, write, re- reading responding to an email is a very tiny task. So you could probably... Lump those together with other small tasks and do kind of a, a roughly one-hour task of do all of my administrative stuff, and that's going to be checking email, I, I, I update Twitter, I you know check check uh, comments for RPG, what have you. you do all of your stuff I- at once, and then you're done for that for today. The uh, and then okay, I'm going to have to redline this book. Okay, well it has twelve chapters, so I'm actually going to focus on chapter one today. It's pretty short, um, so I could probably get through that today. Um, and then plan all that out and what you write down in a book, uh, I use uh, software called Trello, which is a great website that's free it's actually, mm-hmm. It actually, has little cards, some people use post-it notes to put them on their wall, whatever works for you, but then you can see what that workload is. And then once you're actually seeing that workload, it's okay, I have either, oh, it's not that much, or okay, this is a whole lot, which is usually the latter. Um, but then you can start to go, okay, so what can I reasonably accomplish today, this week, this month? And then you instinctively start going into prioritizing. It's like, I could spend my time, you know, fixing this problem with the book, or I could spend this time arguing with someone on Twitter about how fonts work. And when you look at that way, it's like, okay, well, obviously the book takes priority. So I should really be focusing on that.
0: Wait, hold
2: Um, on. And sometimes... Sometimes I'm not going to lie. Sometimes the answer is no seriously Uh, for my mental health. I need to yell at somebody on Twitter right now. I mean, that is sometimes genuinely the answer. Uh, (laughs) um, I mean, you know, and and there are times where it's like, I, there's a whole bunch of emails that I'm sitting on. I don't have the brain power to write today, but I have the brain power to go through this, this chunk of emails for an hour. And so it's not the work you wanted to do, but it is work. And so when you beat yourself up for not doing the work that you wanted to do, you go, okay, but I did something. And that's easier, I have found from talking to my other neurodiverse friends, that's easier to kind of take and, and build a case around in your own head rather than I did nothing today.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really challenging for, for me and for a lot of people who like have ADHD or um, people I've, like anyone who suffers from, like suffers from anyone who has struggles with, um, executive function, figuring out what the task that is going to be easy and what task is going to be difficult is a really hard thing to do. And sometimes those really, quote unquote, easy tasks are really difficult, sure. um, especially when there's a lot of emotional baggage tied into some of those easy tasks. What's the subject of the email? Do I have to tell somebody no? Do I have to ask somebody something? And then I can sit there and I can worry about if that's the thing on my to-do list at the top, I might sit there and not do it and then actually like literally do nothing for a whole half hour, a whole hour. -hmm. But But if if I have five things on your
2: list and you can go, okay, I can't do that now. What's next on the list? And I just have my,
0: I have my work time. And if I don't finish my to-do list within that work time, that's okay. That's why I love the Pomodoro. It works for me at least. Mm -hmm. Like I, this is my work time. It doesn't matter what I do in the space. As long as I'm working, when I'm done, I'm done.
2: And also, like, um, uh, uh, for the the sizing, um, you know, I use uh, Fibonacci numbers. Uh, That's just because I learned that because I worked with a bunch of computer nerds. So, of course, that's, you know, a math thing is what I picked up on. Um, But um, I I, had one of the ones I've had seen people use is T-shirt sizes. I have a friend of mine that actually did a great system where uh, they used colored T-shirts. And the color is the priority and the shirt is the size. So like a green small task is something I can just knock out. I'm I'm happy to do it. It's easy to do. And it's fast. That's probably done fast. Whereas a red extra large, I just really huge. I don't want to deal with it. And it's looming weight. So like, and sometimes those shirts change color. It's like, you know, that was a a red large task yesterday, but now it's more of a yellow large task. Um, And for them that, that worked out really well. Um, So, I mean, that's what we'll go back to. It's like whatever method works for you, but, It's important to if you look at the work as just the work. I have a whole bunch of work to do. You're right. You will see some tasks that will be like, I need to do this. I don't want to do this, and so the work becomes binary. I cannot do this task, therefore I can do nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you break all of your workload down, even something you're like I don't have to do this for two months, but I really want to work on this now. That's my brain's going. You, You can grab that work on it. Yeah, you're not working on the thing that maybe you're supposed to do, but. Something that's due much further down has already gotten started. That's still progress, it's still momentum, and allows you to use the time you have in somewhat a productive way, even if it's not the productive way that your brain is telling you you need to be doing it.
1: The 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 t-shirt thing that you were talking about feels a lot like, you know, scaling thing you know, or or state being able to stage things, like knowing that I've got a lot of a lot to work on this one, but I don't have to focus on the fact that this thing still needs a lot of work, I can take a big chunk out of it and feel okay that it's now closer to completion. And so I'm, I'm staging it down. And then ultimately, when, as you're staging things down, you're also going to find opportunities to clear the item off the board. Now this yep. is done and it's gone. Um, I literally ran into that this week. I'm working on a bunch of stuff, but in particular, writing for two games, game A is going to likely kickstart, be published, whatever, faster, earlier than game B. Mm-hmm. But game A has more to work to do on it, um, including um, so a collaborator has to do some work. Mm-hmm. So I'm also on their timeline. Um, game B is like publishing further down the road. It needs; They both need to go to playtest, but game B was very close to me having it in playtest form. So I just punched it out just to mm-hmm. get it off my table. And say, okay, that's done. Even though it's a little further down the road, it's done. So I've done, like now when I go to start something else, I don't feel like, well, I don't have seven things on my plate anymore. I only have six, and eventually I'll only have five. And like mm-hmm. I've, I've rotated some things out to like I can find just put it in a playtest early. or I can sit on it and say, well, it's it's done enough, and I can set it aside, and I can deal with you know getting playtesters down the road. So yeah, getting things, finding the wins, like you know, and clearing mm-hmm. things off the board is is useful because the the size of an individual project can be daunting. But then like, like Eddie said, like the more projects you have to go, like the baby comes like, well, what, what do I work on? How do I prioritize? Well, like, if there's not an immediate deadline, I like to just like clear something, just get something done because then I feel like I've accomplished something and gotten, gotten, you know, uh, moved forward a little bit. And then the next, the, uh, the next thing doesn't feel quite as daunting.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I, I definitely learned and I mean, this is something I, I, still struggle with like t- today even, but um, the idea that when you make a plan, that plan is not ironclad. That plan is just the plan for now. It's just a current plan. And it is okay to fail your plan. It is not okay to fail, com- fail out, right? It's not okay to just not do anything. It is okay to fail your plan. So it's like, I plan to do A, B, and C. I did not get to A or B, and I got a little bit of C done. There's a difference between, okay, I got D, E, and F progress, Versus I got C done and then I just stopped. Right. So I, because I didn't do A, B, and C, I failed. No, you plan to A, B, and C, stuff happens. And things like mental health is part of it, but also could be just things like, you know, I, I, wrecked my car. And so the day of work is gone. Um, I had to take my dog to the vet suddenly. And you know, that, that doesn't mean you failed. It means your plan failed because you didn't plan for the thing that you couldn't expect.
1: You um, were suddenly struck by inspiration for this other thing that wasn't at the top of your list. And you figured let's, let's make that happen. Right. Oh, that or, you know, so much. Um, <laughs> or you don't expect you know the the consequences of like, I don't know, one country
2: invading another suddenly out of nowhere <laughs> um, and how that messes with you. I mean, so sometimes you have to be like, okay, it, what I plan to do today isn't going to work. But one of the things I found helpful is I do have uh, uh, stages of plan, right? So I have what I'm going to do today, what I'm going to do this week, what I'm going to do this month, and what I'm going to do someday. Uh, so, and by having those stages, I can move things around between them. And so ideally, the stuff I plan to do today is the stuff I get done today. But sometimes I dip into this week's plan. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'm not feeling well to Tuesday, but I'll do Thursday's work now. And then just move my Tuesday work to Thursday and see how I feel then. Uh, And sometimes it's like, okay, this week I plan to focus on, you know, getting recordings done for my podcast, say. Um, And it's like, well, you know, there's a dog barking next door. I can't do any recording. So I'm blocked on that. So let me dig into my monthly plan, see if something I can pull up, start working early while I'm waiting for this dog to be quiet. And it's because I can't do the thing I plan to do today. Uh, So, and then someday is the, okay, I do want to make this. I do want to work on this, but I don't, see that happening anytime soon. So I want to write it down and keep it somewhere. So I know that I'm committed to still doing this thing, but it doesn't have to be right now. And so I have to think about that right now. And by putting it down somewhere concrete, um, your brain doesn't cycle on it. There was a study done in Russia about hundred years ago. Um, uh, a man was studying waitresses. And one thing he noticed is that Uh, waitresses were more likely to remember your order if they hadn't delivered it than when they already had. And what he found through that study is that when people consider a a task to be closed or documented somewhere else, like an I bill, their brain immediately says, okay, I don't remember this anymore unless I specifically make effort to force myself to remember it. But if it's an outstanding thing, I will continue to remember it. Uh, And so if you have 25 tabs open in your head of all things you think you need to do, you're not focusing on all 25 of those equally. But if you say, okay, here are 24 things that I don't have to work at right now. Here's the one thing I'm working on right now. Uh, for the, for this Pomodoro, for this one hour that I've committed to myself, I'm working on this one thing in front of me. I don't have to think about these other 24 things right now because I have written down somewhere that they will be worked on. Then I can focus on that one thing and get more productive work done than if I'm constantly thinking, okay, but I should check, I should check Twitter. Oh, hey, email came in. Oh, hey, Discord just paint, hey, this, this, this. If you say no for this hour, Unless the world's on fire, I'm doing this one thing, and I can check that Discord and email and Twitter after I'm done with this hour. You're more likely to think about that thing rather than the hey, 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 hey constant ping of attention or things you think you should be working on instead.
0: I, I think the the thread through all of that too is the ref, being able to reflect on on all of that and setting some mm-hmm. time aside to reflect on what you need to get done. I think that's important advice for people, whether they're neurotypical or not Um, like knowing what is going to be reasonable for you and for how long and what is going to be a priority for you and for how long, again, that can be more difficult for some people than others, but making sure that you actually do think about it before you just do it Mm -hmm. can make a big difference. And you mentioned too, earlier Trello, I use Trello um, with with my husband, Alex, Mm -hmm. when we were making games. And Trello is great because we can have everything written down on our list. Mm -hmm. So we don't forget what we're doing later on down the road because both of us will, if it's not written down somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can also keep track of what each other are doing. Um, So like being able to see like, okay, here, sitting down, we sit down, we we say, "Here's, here's what we need to get done. We don't really make a priority like regarding like hierarchy because that's going to be too much work and overwhelm for us. Sure. But absolutely. But being able to think about okay, here here is what we need. Mm-hmm. And you can take anything from this list and go if it's if it's like prioritized yeah. to you. Uh that has worked out at least mm-hmm. to modicum a success. Whether or not I remember that Trello exists is another thing.
2: Well but. sure. <laughs> but if you can document your work, then you get two other benefits that I think help again with that kind of your time seems to constantly go away with you. Um, one is for me, I, I plan week to week. Um, I have a rough, I used to have a monthly plan. Now it's just kind of a, a ever turning backlog of things I'll get to. Um, my Sunday stuff is, okay, I don't have a date for that yet, but otherwise it's okay. Sometime in the next few months, I need to work on this night. Every week is pulled from that conveyor belt of tasks. But um, at the end of the week, I can look back and say, oh, here's all the stuff I accomplished. Uh, so when I feel like, man, I didn't get anything done this week, I can look at that concrete list and go, no, I moved all those things over. I know I redlined this chapter. I handled it. And also documenting things that pop up. Like I didn't plan to work on a freelancer contract today, but that popped up and I had to do that. And so I spent time doing that. So documenting it. This was the thing I ended up doing instead. That shows you where your time goes. But the other thing is also then you start to get, you mentioned before, um, get, when, you, when you just feel what those tasks are that's why I like to call velocity. It's the, how much you're getting accomplished. Eventually you start to see patterns. Like consistently I write about 500 words every half hour. Um, if there's research that goes lower, if it's something it's just straight prose or something I've already got in my head that goes higher, but in general speaking, I can, I can, if I had to spend half an hour to writing, I could probably get about 500 words done. That was not where I was when I started. Uh, but over time that's I, I've been able to get myself up to that level. Um, when I have meetings, okay, I have these meetings for an hour and I've I booked out an hour for that. But if I look and go, hey, you know what? 10 hours a week is going to meetings. That's something I need to can address, either plan around that or stop having so many meetings. <laughs>
0: um, so,
2: I mean, when you see where your time goes and you see how you're spending your time, that can help you to, to whether you have two hours a day or like me, I have a full workday. But it doesn't matter if you have... I'm going to work, you know, two hours in the weekend. Even seeing, okay, every every weekend I'm spending two hours, this, two, hours this, two hours on this, two hours on this, two hours on this, two hours on this, and then you're going, okay, I should. I feel like I should be using those two hours to better use. You can see where that time's going. Um, don't beat yourself up. It's not the, the I have failed. It's the okay. How can I be better? How can I constantly improve? Because you're always going to fail and you're always going to succeed. So it's just a matter of learning from those failures and doubling down on successes. That's that's all you can do
0: there's also something great to be said about the dopamine hit of checking something off of your tablet. oh yes
2: oh it's so good <laughs>
0: so that's another benefit of document it so you can cross it off yeah that's <laughs> been good when i clean my apartment i i write down everything like look okay i'm gonna do because i hate i hate doing it so i'll write down okay first i have to clear off the table then i have to wipe down mm-hmm. the table then i have to dry the table oh and i i will cross all those off and it feels yeah. so good <laughs>
1: Also, I think some broad generalization kind of stuff, like, again, this is going to be unique to the person. So you have to find what you, works for you is doing what you need to do in your life to make sure that you have the energy and the yes. focus that you can put towards stuff. So mm-hmm. get the sleep that you know you need, eat food, drink water, take your meds, spend the time with self-care, recreate, relax, watch a movie, take a walk whatever it is that you do that allows you to unwind the thing, the the low key things that don't eat up a bunch of your energy anyway, but that allow you to feel like, okay, I've, I've enjoyed myself a little bit and now I've got this thing that I need to do, but I haven't drained myself Mm -hmm. before I even get to it. Um, And that also goes for like figuring out when, like for, for Eddie, you're dealing with this, like on on a daily basis, For those of us who are doing part-time stuff, what, what time of the day? Yeah, is your most productive mm-hmm. figuring that out. I love working on things on Saturdays and Sundays at like seven o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Spend a few hours in the morning just crunching through, doing whatever I need to do. I, I'm I'm up. I've had breakfast. I've had a uh, you know just a little bit of time because I'm an early riser. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, you know I'm up and about. I've I've relaxed a little bit. I've had breakfast. I've got the most energy that I'm going to probably have all day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and just get things down, get some things down. And then you find yourself like, you know, spending the rest, you know, whatever, at whatever point you stop working on that, or if you take a a longer break or something, you feel like you've accomplished something. So you don't, you don't spend the entire day. At least I don't spend the entire day thinking, Oh, I still got to do this thing that may not work for you. Like some people are not morning people. Um, if, if, you know, if you work a day job and coming home and, and working on game stuff is what really relaxes you and you really enjoy it. Like, you know, make sure you bring that energy home, you know, don't drain yourself at work and then come home and, you know, maybe, maybe the evening time is the best time for you. Um, I also um, don't tell my employer, but um, I, I work, I, I throw stuff down on paper. I just jot notes to myself. I put stuff into a document. Like when inspiration hits, like if you've got some manner of, like we, we, we all live in a world where, you can be walking. Or you can be walking around with a uh, like a little notepad, a little electronic yeah. notepad in your pocket, um, or a lot of us work at jobs where we're at a computer anyway. Or you can just have a notepad, you know, physical notepad and pen handy. Is you know like if, if inspiration hits and you know it's not going to impact your life, it cause a problem with your job or work or you know what's going what's going on in your life. Like, yeah, like I, I crunch out little ideas. I come up with some of my. Best ideas for the game stuff that I'm working on, just like out of the blue, while I'm doing my day job, and I just like, oh, I gotta just take a couple minutes and jot that all down, right. and then I can flush it out later. Um, and actually, you, you, it's it's
2: something both those things actually lead to an interesting point, especially if you're working on creative work, like a lot of freelancers in our industry are. Um, the reason why we tend to get ideas like when we're driving, or we're in the shower, or we're on walks, or whatever, is because, again, it's been found through studies that creative impulses tend to work better when you're
1: slightly bored yeah when you're doing Uh, something mundane
2: right and so if you're just go 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 you're not going to be at your best creative work you need to carve out time to zone out and watch doctor who to do something mindless at work because the back of your mind is going to start turning on stuff and wanting to fill that gap because your brain wants to be active and it's not as active as it could be so it's okay well let me start inventing stuff to keep myself active and that's where the creativity starts to kick in. So, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't carve out that time to just be, you know, doing nothing, then you are ultimately continuing to empty that creativity tank and not refilling it.
0: That that is so true. I I'm, I'm a teacher, so my day is filled with me constantly having to uh be active and talk to people and there's not mm-hmm. a lot of downtime, but some of my best ideas have come from when I am uh either proctoring a test or you know monitoring quiet student work and i am like bored to tears Mm because i have to like i can't like do anything else because i have to make sure they're not cheating right oh man i've had some of my best work and then sneakily write it down somewhere absolutely Mm -hmm.
2: um for Many of those two decades I mentioned, um, I have used um, moleskin notebooks, so little black notebooks that had the uh, um, ribbon around to keep hold it closed. Um, and, and I just, for years, I would just shove one of those in my pocket. And then, yeah, something that happens, I would pull it out, just jot down some notes, um, and then as soon as I could get to a place where I can then transcribe them into something that's not just random words, that it's helpful because otherwise, next day it's like. Chicken explode fish.
1: What, <laughs> what, what did I want
2: to go for there?
1: Yeah, it's like yeah. jotting, a jotting an idea down after you just woke up from a dream. You suddenly had an idea in the dream and you're yes. kind of like half awake and you, you write something down and then you look at it when you, the next day, when you get up and it's like chicken scratch. <laughs> I actually had that once
2: where I actually
1: dreamed designing
2: a game, and I woke up and the first <laughs> thing I was mad about the fact that I had to do all that work again. Um, but then I tried yeah. to write it down, but then I had like you know get ready for work and all that stuff, and then by the time I got back to it, it's like I genuinely have no idea what was going on in that game. So it's like, I was like, I it ended up turning into something I was mildly interesting near the ends because I had to kind of solve those problems again myself. But you're right; it's trying to to capture moments, but but you can. Manufacture them. Uh, So uh, a lot of times when I'm outlining uh, a new uh, product or whatever is I will just shut all my other computer stuff down. Um, I'll pull out a notepad and I'll just sit in my chair and just stare at the wall. And the first five minutes is like, you know, going through, you should be doing, you should be doing that. But I had to quiet all that down Uh, because I have slowly convince myself that this is actually part of the the process. Writing sometimes is not always banging on a keyboard. It's the thought process. And so I sit and stare at a wall, and then I just write stuff down, and the the first pass is always garbage. Um, So I jot down, the music comes to mind, and then, okay, well, let me get rid of some of this stuff that doesn't make sense. And then what, what if I tried this? What if I tried that? And it takes about an hour or two. But then I start getting decent ideas and then stitching them together. And at a certain point in time, it's okay. The ideas are coming so fast. I can't write them down fast enough. So I have to move to a Google doc or whatever. And then I'm actually doing the writing that I wanted to do. So it took me an hour or two to get there, but I had to do that by doing kind of nothing and doodling and writing random words on a page until I eventually got there. So so yeah, sometimes it, 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 staring at the page as you were, isn't always helpful. You have to, completely break away from it. You know, I, I just plan times where I'm like, I, I'm struggling with a creative problem. And so I'll take my dog for a walk and walk her for half an hour and then come back. Okay. Now I think I figured out how I want to do this.
0: Breaks. That's why Pomodoro is great. Yep. <laughs> it no, has a break that built in.
2: <laughs> Pomodoro method is genius and it's, Anyone who's not familiar with it, just Google. We've told you basically the entire method, but it, it's worth Googling because it's super simple. Um, you don't have to buy a massive book to learn it. It's like four steps um, and it, it's really, really great.
0: And it is something that also, like I said, it does work for a lot of people who are neurodivergent. Um, it I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. But- well,
2: I mean, I, I, I have a friend of mine who's also uh, had like, it uh, seems like, like you uh, has ADHD and executive dysfunction. And one thing that they've mentioned to me is that, uh, if they find that they have drifted off topic, like Wikipedia hole or something, that ding, that external thing stopping will help pull them out, yep. whereas otherwise they'd be doing it for two hours and not realize they've done it.
0: Yep. <laughs> the the, the hyper-focus train is real mm-hmm. and uh, it can be used for good and evil. Right. Uh,
1: <laughs> and I've, I've, I've heard some people too, you might also consider um, writing sprints, mm-hmm. which oh, is kind of the idea of a short period of time where you're going to just sit down and write, it, write something. Mm-hmm. It might be utter garbage. It might go nowhere, but it gets the juices flowing. It, it's a way to kind of help just kind of get yourself in the zone to do that. You can do that. You know, you t- take 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes off, come back 10 minutes, right. And maybe you know, there, there can come a point where, especially for people who sometimes have a hard time just getting themselves motivated to go long-term is it just gets you in the mood of mm-hmm. doing stuff. Even if like, okay, I'm just, I'm writing a thing that like here's ideas I have for other games. Just idea, idea, yep. idea, idea, idea. Just get stuff down on the page. Feel like you're accomplishing something. Accomplishing something. Um, it gets the juices flowing. Um, and then there may come, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, there comes a point like a little bit later where you're like, oh, you know, like I'm I'm accomplishing these things. I'm doing I'm doing all right here. Like I'm gonna get going on this project that I know I need to, you know, spend some time. Yeah, on. A, a, can, a lot of times can build just up, getting started, just kind of build yourself up to that.
0: Yep. Or just continue jogging after your sprint. Sometimes that happens too.
1: And sometimes you're, you're literally, you can literally do the work itself in sprints. Like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to punch out. I'm just going to write. We got to start. I got to do 10 pages describing this wonderful kingdom I'm going to have in my game. I'm going to spend 10 minutes, just a bunch of stuff about the kingdom, just whatever I've got ready in my head to go. And then I'm going to go take a break and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to punch through a bunch more. And just do it in little pieces. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of my design in, in small chunks like that. And that's actually, it's funny because like the the,
2: the the eternal writer debate of outlining or just doing a free form. And everyone's got their own method, but I live by outlines for exactly that reason. Because it's like the topics maybe like I need to do A, B, C, D, and E, but like my brain's really focused on E right now. If I don't have an outline, I don't know how to get to E. So I have to get through the other four steps to get there but with the outlines. Okay, I know I have 500 words devoted to this topic. I could just jump to there, write that in. I may have to rewrite a chunk for later when the other pieces fall into place, but I have something down. I have a sense of where I want to go. Um, and so, yeah, if you're bouncing around, it's like, okay, but I want to work on mice right now. Let me just jump to that and kind of nail those down and like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna figure out how to combat. Okay, actually, I it's a really good idea for combat. Let me just get that in and then I can start fleshing in the pieces around it. But again, if you have an outline, you know, okay, here's the constraints. I've got to get it within this small window, as opposed to, I have 150,000 words I can fill. I can do anything I want to, which means I could do nothing because it's so overwhelming.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I feel that one.
1: <laughs> Problem solved everybody. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's
0: been solved. As soon as, everyone. as soon
1: as we're done here, we're going to just all go right back to diving into working on something, right? <laughs> no,
0: I'm going to clean my bathroom closet actually. Um <laughs> That'll be my task for the day. If I get that done, I have been accomplished. Um, there you go. Yeah. So, uh thank you, Eddie, for coming and talking. You are you are so like you you sound like an expert on time management. I feel like <laughs> like I need to shadow you.
2: Only because I have been self-employed full time for eight years. So it's the if if I hadn't figured this stuff out, I would have. <laughs> probably gone back to mcdonald's something at this point so i had to figure it out
0: i mean good for you for having that because so many people found themselves not necessarily self-employed but on their own schedule for the last two years and True. that is uh, terrifying so eddie what are you doing with what are you doing when you are not managing your time what are you doing within those blocks <laughs>
2: petting my dog, it feels like, that's all I do. Um, No, uh, I mean, uh, a lot of my work these days is through uh, Onyx Path Publishing. So um, check out theonyxpath.com. You can get a lot of the sense of various things I'm working on. Uh, The most recent one is uh, we just wrapped up a Kickstarter for Training Continuum Anima, which is our cyberpunk slash uh, lit RPG MMO uh, tabletop role-playing game. So you can play characters who are themselves playing characters in an MMO. It's very trippy and very fun. Uh, But also, um, uh, if you want to take a sense of the stuff I work on on a regular basis, uh, you can go to my website, pugsteady.com, P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. I'm also on Twitter at pugsteady. And uh, when I'm not talking about RPG stuff, actually. Um, just recently, I started a podcast with uh, Chris Spivey of Darker Q Studios, where we decided that we were going to not talk about role-playing games at all. <laughs> <because> we are <laughs> done with it. Um, and so we now, we now have a podcast called Genreless, where uh, we watch um, a few episodes of specific shows, and we uh, talk about what that show does to the larger kind of genres. So we just wrapped up uh, um, Space Opera. So we did eight shows covering Space Opera, and now we're moving into uh, Mecca anime. Um, So uh, that's fun because it allows us to kind of talk about genre outside of the constraints of tabletop. And by doing that, I've been finding it helps me to kind of crystallize okay, this is why these genres work, why these tropes hang together, how they have evolved, and how we could do better with them moving forward. So uh, that is Dark uh, Genreless on pretty much every podcast platform at this point.
0: I think everyone who does games should have their own ungame related podcast mine is an adam sandler podcast which helps oh, nice. me realize how goofy things can be and how rob schneider is awful but you can, <laughs> for my games my games you can find those at wannabegames.com or you can find them on drive rpg you can find me on twitter at, at joska wow i forgot my handle for a fraction <laughs> of a second um, and we're working on means and magic right now, getting our art in, finishing that up. And that'll be out in the summer at some, uh, I can't remember exactly when our deadline is. This is why I need to see things written down.
1: Time is a flat circle, right? Yes. <laughs> Um, and I am Craig Campbell um, the uh, website is nerdburgergames.com. you can find the games at drive through rpg.com as well I am at nerdburgercraig Craig on Twitter and I currently have no other podcast that I'm working on get on that <laughs> I know I, sh- I should there, I have ideas for things I'd love to do but also uh, limited time because uh, you know I, I there's there's a number of things that I've tried over the past few years that I've ended up abandoning and not doing in you know conjunction or adjacent to or whatever all the role-playing game design stuff because i realized if i keep trying to do this and let that dominate then i'm not gonna design games i'm not gonna have time for that so anywho that's me that's it (laughs) (laughs) yes i only Uh, have so much time i had to pick and i had to pick and choose
0: uh thank you for our opening and closing song uh steph sex uh, that is a song called Abel. It was released in the Creative Commons. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.